it's a really interesting headspace to feel that I'm lucky but yet I'm going through the fucking worst thing in the world at the same time is quite conflicting and very and very it's challenging so it's kind of playing with my head a little bit and I can't get out you know I can't and I can't work which is is so you know we sort of sat at home for five months waiting to get back to work and 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 I just I simply can't this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep Humans are pretty amazing. When faced with adversity, even when the chips seem stacked against us, something from within finds a way to navigate the situation and find a way forward. This series has been a testament to not only the talents and diversity of our food industry, but to the power of human spirit. Life, as we've come to realise, can change in a heartbeat. And it's this realisation that's changing the way we view the world and our place in it. Gabrielle Webster is the head sommelier of Iceberg's Dining Room, Bondi. Gabrielle, how are you? I'm really well, Anthony. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm so glad that um, we're catching up because I know you've got quite a story to share. Um, everyone's had quite a big year and quite a difficult year and you've had added challenges to that. How, how are things at the moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, look, 2020 is really going to go going to go down in history, I think, for, for not just us in the industry but for everyone. For me personally, it's been it's just been out of control. You know, there was obviously COVID and, and I had uh, managed to actually get back to icebergs for three weeks and then we were in a head-on collision Um yeah, I airlifted to hospital and I, I almost died of some pretty incredible injuries of which I'm still dealing with. So it's been um, sort of one thing on top of the on top of the other is has been yeah. Just, uh, this year is is quite like nothing I've ever experienced. Well, we can touch on some of those horrific circumstances you found yourself in a little bit later. Do you want to do you want to take us back to? Earlier on in the year, the industry was still coming to grips with the impact of the bushfires and what that meant for tourism and restaurants. Yeah, and and look, that was that was huge for us because we're. I mean, you know, I, I love Morris always uses this this um, sort of saying where that you would go to Rockpool to make the deal and you would come to Icebergs to celebrate. And so <laughs> wow. for summer, it's a, it's a good one, isn't it? I really like that. It's actually very very true. And you know, for, so for summer for us is it's a it's a big deal, and we're busy, and we're you know, but it, not only are we busy with Christmas parties and and people from Australia, we're we're a huge tourist destination, and so with the bushfires and and what you know, obviously what our farmers and people sort of not living in Bondi went through, for us it was was really quite overwhelming because you know you couldn't go outside, it and it really. And, you know, the world was told via the media that we were burning and so people weren't coming, you know. And so we, you know, we didn't, it's kind of a, a little bit of a, a sort of a thing, you know, the American tourists come in January and the Chinese tourists come in December and it's a, you know, it sort of happens like clockwork there and, and, and we just didn't have them this year. And, and being a, a venue with such an outlook like Icebergs has, I mean, I think it's it's one of the most beautiful dining rooms in the world 
when it's covered in in smoke and ashes falling on the white tablecloths and you it just it it, it was just absolutely overwhelming it was and it was horrific you know and because we're you know in in our industry we're all very connected to the suppliers and and the people that we get our products from and so to understand you know that the Adelaide Hills burnt down was just a you know it was was it's horrific is was basically the only word I really have for it. It was a very sort of hard summer to to be uplifting for our guests and when you can't actually physically see North Bondi, you know, it's a it was yeah, it was like sort of nothing. It's and it's hard it's hard now to really even sort of remember that because this year has been so overwhelming with obviously COVID and, and other pro- problems. But to to think back to January where, you know, we were scared of, of for friends and family and, and every, you know, the, our country was on fire. It was, you know, to think that that was how we sort of kicked off our year now kind of makes sense because it's just like we're in hell. But it, you know, it, yeah, it's, it was just a lot. Well, as you say, Icebergs is a place to go and celebrate, and not just for locals, for tourists as well, because it's in such an iconic lo- location as well. It is, and and that that uh, Instagram photo is pretty pretty important. You know, if you if you come to, <laughs> to Sydney, you need to make sure you've got your head at at, at Bergs so you can. Anyway, that's yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> what was the impact like when the pandemic happened for a restaurant that's you know it's tourism and and uh look for us it was pretty insane because we were you know obviously our tourism had stopped so we you know we we weren't quiet because it's always sort of a busy business but we we saw the changes and then with with the shutdown for us it was kind of it was quite different because you know our group at the time we had a number of different venues that that we were a part of and and the bucket list was one of our venues and they, you know, through no one's fault, had a bunch, had a big party, I think, on the Sunday before it all sort of really happened and there were some some pretty big COVID cases that came from that. So the Sunday before, it was, I think, the 23rd of March or oh God, I'll never forget that day, but um, we, you know, we, we had a big meeting. We, we closed because of what had happened at, the bucket list and every venue within our group closed for the health of obviously our staff and and customers and and just to really do the right thing before we were forced to because of this sort of possible issue and so we the whole group and everyone that worked in it was put into 14 days of self-quarantine at the start so which was you know and and Obviously, sort of the next day, the whole of Sydney and New South Wales and got shut down. Venues got shut down anyway. But we were, our, it was it was hard for everyone within the Icebergs group because not only were we, you know, we we didn't know what was happening and we were shut down, but we were in actual physical self isolation for for those sort of fourteen days, which was, you know, it it was quite. I feel like it was sort of harder for us than just being shut down because we couldn't. A get together with our with our workmates or teammates or or our friends or our family. We had to, you know, you know. Obviously, we all wanted to do the right thing, so we were we were just we you know we we're in sort of isolation, which was pretty pretty crazy. And then for me, in that in that those fourteen days, someone pretending to be a member of ISIS hacked all of my social media. 
<laughs> I lost, so I got, so I sort of had lost, you know, we'd lost a job and friends and family and then my, my social media, which I didn't realise I thought was so important until that was then taken away as well. So it was quite, that sort of first 14 days was, was pretty intense and, and emotional and, and hard because we're, our industry and, and all of us, we're all such social people, you know, we need to be, I need to be around, you know, and we, and we are humans and, and our team is where we're so close with each other that it, it was hard not to be with them through that first sort of initial bit. Dining at Icebergs is one of the most special experiences in Australia and oh, not thanks. the planet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I did, agree. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you replicate that sort of situation what, to to deal with a, a closure and pandemic? Was there anything the group did to get money coming in? We, um, we, we It was really tricky because obviously we were in sort of quarantine over that first sort of 14 days and we did keep in touch but we were behind, we were really set up behind the eight ball of putting together a sort of a, a takeaway or a delivery thing and then whilst this was actually also happening which is one extra thing Knott's Avenue was being uh, reno- renovated and so you couldn't actually drive down that tiny little street to get to icebergs itself so we really we just we couldn't we couldn't do a, a delivery or a, a takeaway or, or put some packs together with with any sort of ease you know it was it was it really for us it really felt like the odds were kind of stacked against us and and we managed to kind of you know we filtered a lot to to our other venue Chichabella and you know Chichabella they they were remarkable you know Dave Owen who's the general manager there really stepped up and Rachel Duffy they really they just they did some amazing things so we kind of sort of focused on on that part of the business so we did some takeaway and and the like through there um but icebergs itself really kind of got shut down and you know and uh, you know the the venue itself sitting on a on a <laughs> on a cliff on the ocean you know it gets beaten and it it needed it was definitely in need of some love and a little bit of a refurb and and you know we wanted to sort of pretty it up and so that was kind of something that, that, you know, that Morris and, and the, you know, the director sort of took the time to actually do, which was pretty incredible because you couldn't get, you couldn't, even if we wanted to, you, you simply couldn't get down that street. So it was, I think, harder, I don't know if, yeah, it, it was harder for our team than it kind of should have been because it, it we just really had no other option you know, so you know, we 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 tried to to do some little events at Chichabella and and some some Mother's Day things, which was incredible. What Alex Pritchard put together for Mother's Day was was wild, and Nick Wong stepping in to help out was 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 just incredible. So you know, we sort of did what we could, but it was it was hard. You know, it was really the the odds were stacked against. I feel though the odds were stacked against us a little bit in that sort of initial period of of what the hell do we do how do we get an income how do we how do we how do we retain our staff you know we we have this this incredible team of people who were who were not local australian citizens you know where that was the kitchen i mean alex the poor thing he went from having a team of i think it was like 46 to to like 10 people it just it 
Yeah, you know, and that's the other side of all of this, you know, with with the, the prime minister telling everyone to go home, which I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be political. It, it, we lost a huge part of our workforce, and so, you know, there, there was, yeah, it was a the the start of COVID, and COVID itself, obviously, as a as a business for us at Icebergs was was incredibly tricky to sort of navigate from the beginning. You know, it 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 wasn't wasn't easy and I think you know there's a lot of people within that within that group within that management team that just deserve a damn pat on the back because how they sort of stepped sideways and thought outside of the box like Simone Ramsey the events manager just did some incredible work throughout that time just trying to to think differently you know to think like you've never ever had to think before in this industry you know and and I it's yeah it's been a it's been a trying time for them, unfortunately. But but you know, but we're it's back now. It's quite amazing that you know we are where we are right now. So, which is positive. At the top of the show, you mentioned there was a three week period where you got back to work. What was that? What was that? What was that period of time? Like? Oh, God, it was good. It was so good just to be back doing what we what we all love and and having that sense of normality again you know and to the thing that you know I I'm a so incredibly social person and I and I love what I, I love what I do you know I'm, I'm so lucky to have found something that to you know that I work and, and, I, and I, I fucking love Anthony and so to be back for those three weeks to have guests coming through the door it was incredible. I mean, we were we went very very hard on being COVID safe. You know, we we you know it was Tazo at the front door with a temperature gun. We were all wearing masks, which was I mean you know which is it's just hard to be in service with a with a mask on. You know, it, it obviously you know you want to do the right thing, but it's hard to talk to people. It's hard to get people's attention. It's it, it's hard. To, you know, it's hot and uncomfortable. And and you know, th- I mean, this is the world that we're in right now. So I'm not sort of I'm not anti-mask or anything. But we just we tried so hard to go over and above being COVID safe that everyone felt comfortable and the staff felt comfortable and and you know, and I think setting that those sort of uh, those it, that in place really kind of made those three weeks for me really quite excellent and and just and I think from a customer point of view they felt very safe so they they kept coming back in droves which was really quite excellent in all honesty it was really great you mentioned after those three weeks that you were involved in a pretty horrific head-on car accident (sighs) yeah it was uh our, my brother-in-law, so my husband Aaron, who's a pastry chef at Manta, and his brother um, Ben Edie, who was a one of I think one of Sydney's greatest waiters, and he'll probably hate me for saying this because he was an est for forever, but he's now a lawyer. And I'd gotten home from work on a quite late on a Saturday night, and Ari was explaining about how he had this ridiculous amount of of driving to do. So he had a, a court case in Tamworth that Monday morning. And I just thought, well, why don't we go? Why don't, you know, why don't we just sit in the car? Because I was worried about him having an accident. Oh, my goodness. And so I thought, you know, we would go and we would share the drive and, and just be there for support and he wouldn't be on his own. And so, you know, we, we left here on a Sunday afternoon and it was great to be on a road trip, you know. It was was really fun. We were in the car, we were playing music and we, we stopped at Musselbrook and had some dinner in a really shitty pub and it was just awesome. And about we were... 
we were, I think, maybe half an hour away from Tamworth. It was about 8.30 at night and we were just driving on that freeway. I think it's called the New England Freeway and another guy who had a bull bar on his car, he was actually moving house, the poor thing, um, just veered into our lane and at no brakes, 100 k's an hour, we had a head-on collision. Wow. Um, Look, if he hit us, it, you know, if it, there's a lot, lot, Ari took lots of photos because my husband was away. Like he, I was knocked unconscious, as was Ben, who was driving, and Ari, um, the poor thing, was, was conscious throughout the whole thing. And he had to pull me out of the car because he thought that the car was, he could smell gas. So he, he couldn't get, he got me out. And I, I suffered, I was in the back seat and I, I really suffered sort of the worst injuries of the three of us I had um my I don't know if my head went through the window or if glass just broke on my head but I've got some pretty pretty intense facial scarring from that now just underneath my eye all the way down through my mouth and to my chin um was ripped right open and I I had a punctured lung and a collapsed lung and internal bleeding and so I had seven broken ribs which I, just on a side note is the most painful thing in the world because <laughs> laughing and crying is so not an option when you've got a broken rib plus seven but um but yeah so so he he pulled me out and then the um the, the, the next person that drove past was the, fr- amazingly a nurse. So he sort of checked all our vitals and we were fine. He called the ambulance who then called the helicopter and we got airlifted. Ben and I got airlifted to uh, John Hunter Hospital um, where it was pretty touch and go for a while there. And, the, and the, I mean, I look back now and laugh, but it wasn't a thing. But they, I was coughing apparently because I, I had so much blood in my lungs so I was coughing on arrival and they actually put me in a COVID ward for 24 hours before they would do any work on me, which was, I mean, at the time was absolutely horrific. Um, but looking back, I think it was pretty funny. So, you know, so I was sort of in there and then, you know, we've had sort of surgeries and 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 the like. And Ben suffered some pretty intense breaks and, and injuries. Ari came out relatively okay at the time he had a, a fractured sternum but ne- now he has to go and have some surgery next week for his shoulder he's, there's something I don't understand all the medical words but he's, there's something in his rotator cuff but I um then have just uh, they mentioned after I got out of hospital because I was in hospital for two weeks and I don't really remember the first week I was on I mean I can't even imagine the amount of pain medication but it was just oh maybe in shock I I, I don't sort of know and it was just it was just so unreal that it's like nothing I've ever been involved in ever in my life so uh, there was sort of that and then by the time we actually made it home we found out that um, my knee was completely screwed so I literally just a couple of weeks ago had a full knee reconstruction which is the most painful thing to go like I thought you know your broken rib haha let's let's talk about your and your your knee and there's so many cl things in your knee which were all torn to pieces so I'm um I'm in that I'm I'm just dealing with that now I, I go to rehab and and physiotherapy sort of pretty often they've actually put a hospital bed in our spare room which is where I live right now which is quite odd to be honest with you I mean uh, amazing because there's this whole thing out there called the CTP you know those annoying green slips that you pay <laughs> the money for that is goes into a thing called CTP which is has looked after us quite phenomenally so through that we've got yeah I've, I'm, I'm living in a my spare bedroom in a 
hospital bed, which it's, yeah, goodness. it's it's. You've been going through some um, serious rehab yeah. since then. What's this period of time been like for you? It's, um, look, it's changed me, Anthony. You know, I'm, I think very differently. It's, it, there's a lot of things that I would probably get worked up about in the past that simply don't matter anymore um and and it's 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 kind of interesting because I know I know that we're very very lucky I know the three of us are hugely lucky to have our lives to be alive is a thing but it's it's such a it's a really interesting headspace to feel that I'm lucky but yet I'm going through the fucking worst thing in the world at the same time is quite conflicting and very and very it's challenging so it's kind of playing with my head a little bit and I can't get out you know I can't and I can't work which is is so you know we sort of sat at home for five months waiting to get back to work and 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 I just I simply can't and so it's quite it's quite hard at at the moment you know it yeah there's this it's the two-way two hands you know I'm very lucky but I'm also having a fucking shit time excuse my language so it's a you know it's, it's just yeah the last few weeks have been quite hard and we're still sort of dead smack in the middle of it unfortunately so you know it if we've got some weeks ahead of of um of rehabilitation and you know my, my husband goes in for surgery next week so now I you know I get to look after him but I can't really because I, I can't move so it's a it's a you know it, it yeah geez it's really it's really been real You've won many awards as a sommelier and you're one of our most influential. How are you feeling about your career at the moment given what you're going through right now? Yeah, it, it's it's funny you mentioned because it was that was one of my greatest fears with the injuries to my face was that I would lose my sense of taste and smell because it was came so close to my nose and, and you know, they're such tiny little veins and, and just that the idea of that was quite, hard so for the first sort of few weeks once I'd actually made it home I I didn't actually have a glass of wine because I didn't I I was the if I couldn't smell it I don't know how I would have dealt with that whole emotion but I can (laughs) so I I I can (laughs) so you know my job my job is still there and and you know we're you know, the awards have been, I've been so lucky. I've, every list that I've written has won a, a major award. And, you know, with being at Icebergs, I, the, the real plan, and I think one of the reasons that James sort of hired me was to, to put, to bring this sort of wine culture to a venue such as Bergs. Because before that, you know, you could drink, you could have the, the greatest Aperol spritz you've ever had in your entire life. But to sit down and really have something serious, have a good glass of wine was was perhaps not as much of a focus. And so the, the two years that I've been there, we've been really working on building this side of the beverage program and and making this wine list that that A, I'm really proud of, and B, suits our our guests and our clientele. And, and you know, because I, I, I firmly, I'm such a believer that, you know, the wine list must suit the venue, you know. It needs to be something that works within those four walls, not not just suit the sommelier who's writing it or the restaurant manager who's it's not about us it's about the guest and so I really feel that with, that I'd put together this the you know one of the greatest lists of my life I was so proud of it and that and thank god thank god we we, we were able to enter that particular list for the wineless of the year awards before this all happened and 
which was also which was really you know fantastic but also meant that we were we were really stocked up so so when we got to reopen again you know the purchasing of you know because financially obviously everyone understands you know that the margins in restaurants are so small so to have to reopen and then to even think about purchasing wine is just uh, goodness but we didn't have I thank goodness we didn't have to really worry about that because I just I'd set it up (laughs) for this ginormous wine list literally just before we closed so that um that's yeah something really great (laughs) I, I think most people, when they dine, they kind of rely on someone of your talents to sort of guide them through a wine list. But but what makes a great sommelier? I think um, I think com- compassion and also taking I think empathy and 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 not I think ego, in my opinion, is what ruins most sommeliers. You know, because they think too much about themselves and what they want to drink or what price point they want to sell rather than what that actual guest wants to drink. You know, I, I love natural wine. I'm, I've been an advocate since my the start of my whole career, but there are a lot of guests that come to Icebergs that just do not want to drink like that. They, they absolutely don't. And there is no point even, you know, to sell them something that is a little bit funky and maybe a little bit cloudy is just going gonna, it's, it's gonna to really derail their experience. So you, you have to, to give the guests what they want and work out what is going to be the, the, the greatest wine for, for them, you know, and, and that's what it's all about, you know. To, to be a psalm, it's not, it's, it, it's so easy to get caught up in your own head, but it's, yeah, it, for us it's, it's them. You've got to give them what they want to drink, which is not always, you know, I think everyone's cup of tea, unfortunately. You know? What drew you to the hospitality, hospitality industry? Yeah, it was. Uh, I studied fashion. I I was going to be a fashion designer. That was my that was my thing. Wow. And I yeah, I know, so random. And I you know, and I can't draw, so I don't know why I ever thought that would be a thing. But and I anyway, I just you know, I had it in because you know this was back in Sydney when Sydney was a you know you could we would go to Tatler and we would go to you know um, Bill and um, sorry Will and Toby's and I would hang out with these wonderful fashionista people and I thought yep that's it that's what I want to do and I always worked in hospitality as a sort of a sideline you know to to make good money and and you know it, it was it is good money back when tips were tips it was you know it was quite phenomenal so it was always this kind of side game and I ended up hating fashion I ended up hating sitting in a room on my own sewing sample pieces it was it was just not me in any way shape or form and I I was actually funnily enough working for Morris at um, North Bondi Italian Food Morris and Rachel at North Bondi Italian Food and I had a um I know it's I've gone I've come complete full circle (laughs) But I, um, I had a night out with a gentleman called Mark Ward. We had a belter of an evening together and he, he actually owns Regal Road now, Vermouth, and he, um, he throughout the night he kept saying, oh, Gab, I've got the perfect job for you. Gab, I've got the perfect job for you. And so I called him the next day or a day or so after the hangover subsided and was like, you know, what is this job? Like what is this great job? And, and it, it turned out the job was assistant sommelier at Astral Restaurant. Oh wow! And remember, remember Astro. Yeah. Remember when that was a th- you know it was a it was a it was a thousand dollar degustation that yeah. I got ripped to pieces in the media about. But anyway, that's another story. Um, I so I went and I you know and I knew a little bit about wine. I could get myself through my section of an evening knowing enough about wine, but I didn't 
I didn't know anything, you know. And so I went to this in, interview and, and um, absolutely lied throughout the whole interview and lied throughout my trial shift and read the back of bottles and, you know, Peter Bell completely saw straight through me. But he taught me and it was a, a bottle of Bass Philip Gamay, funnily enough, was the wine that really changed my world because I saw, I, I tasted like oyster shells and I remember going to Pete going, what the hell is this? Like why does this red wine taste like an oyster? I don't get it. How does this happen? And it blew, it just blew my mind and then I was completely and utterly hooked. I was just, that was it. I was I was in. And, you know, working in, in that place, there, there was not really a huge budget for it. You didn't have this sort of cogs issue that, that I sort of work with now. So the list was amazing and you could sell bottles of wine to people that had so much money and so, to you know, to taste some of the wines that I would sell throughout the night would just be Oh my goodness! I, I don't really have the words for how exceptional that was. So, it um, I it, yeah, I was hooked after that, completely hooked. And then, I think I sort of moved to a few other little restaurants. And then after after that, I, I after that it was really Bloodwood that that just made, uh, yeah, that just made me a complete lifer for this industry because working with Claire Van Buren and and Mitch then was you know they'd only just opened the venue and they gave me full license they were like you know you, you do what you do Gab off you go and the support from that which was was phenomenal at the time because you know it there are such leaders in the Newtown um, scene they were we were literally the first there was no, it was every kind of cheap tie that you could imagine but there was nowhere else that you could go and get a good glass of wine or a good cocktail and have great music and and eat this delicious food. Like there were some of the greatest chefs I've ever worked with. And so that really cemented for me, like, like this is it, this is what we're gonna do. And then and then that list there, we won sort of best small list uh, on a number of occasions for for the work that we sort of did, the work I did. I, I don't know, it was was yeah, really excellent yeah everyone should go to bloodwood it's such a good venue <laughs> if you're out there <laughs> a great som has the ability to take food and wine and make it greater than the sum of its parts do you have any sort of really memorable wine and food experiences that have changed you yeah i think um the, the biggest one would would have to be um when noma came to australia because mads this was when i was at, at love tilly and a lot of the team from noma would come and hang out at at Love Tilly, it was great. And Mads um, and I became quite good friends, really quite good friends. We both um, have a very similar sense of humour and, and can be as, we love to sort of have a good bitch about guests at the end of the night. And so he um, he managed to get us, myself and, and Ari, a, a spot for lunch when the whole thing was completely sold out. And when we went and sat down, he, he looked at me and he's like, I'm not showing you any bottles, Gab. You're not going to see a single bottle. We're just going to pour you wine. And that was, at the, you know, when he said that, I was like, oh, you know, I, I want to know what they are. But taking that thing out and just doing the, the simple food and wine match was really, um, a really extraordinary. That really, that really sort of cemented, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be the most excellent producer for it to be on a tasting menu. It doesn't. It doesn't. Ha you know. You you associate a label with greatness. It's what the juice inside is. Is that is is what really sort of matters. And I think. And then you know another thing. I was I was talking to Ari earlier, and and one thing that this time of the year, one thing I I really miss is rootstock 
you know, at this time of the year normally I would be, I would be so stressed out trying to put together this massive um, wine festival, but that was just such a imp- incredibly important thing for not only sort of not the food and wine match, but for bringing our community together and for making Australia a global wine country and and tasting and just seeing, you know, and, and what Giorgio would do with the Indigenous community and Mike and, and Everett James everyone was really, I think, very important for me throughout the five years that, that it happened. It was it was huge, you know, there was that we had so much fun and that would be that would you know I, I miss that at this time of year because even though we you know we would be really busy with work it was always something that we just did for nothing everyone some of the volunteers that came worked every single year with me for absolutely nothing and worked their absolute asses off just for the love of wine and that is that's cemented in my heart for what this sort of bev- wine or beverage or whatever side of the hospitality industry is, is there is an absolute true love for it that I think can get that, yeah, just makes me a bit teary even thinking about, you know. Uh, well, well, Rootstock really changed the conversation about wine in this country. What do you love about the wine that's being produced in this country at the moment? It's a, a young country, but it's very diverse. It's so exciting and, I, and you know, I look back, so one of, my, one of the most important people for me within my wine career was Sam Hughes and Sam Hughes was a, a, a mentor and a friend and, and he, really, um, he really played such an important part in changing wine in Australia. He, uh, you know, and it's not all necessarily about natural wine but it's about, for him it was about knowing where it comes from and knowing how it's farmed and, and I, the start of what the natural selection theory did, which is, you know, Tom Shabrook and James Erskine and, and Anton von Klopper and, and Sam Hughes, what they did was really awaken, they really shook this country up and everyone woke up and went, hang on a second, I don't have to drink a Shiraz that's 15% alcohol and tannic and gross. I can drink something that's 12% alcohol from a little tiny place called the Basket Rangers that I don't know where it is but it's delicious and and natural you know and so I think that uh, the wine that's being produced in this country now is uh, it's up there with the rest of the world and I think leading in the rest of the world you know where for a long time and I I remember I'm old enough now to remember what it was like before you know and it was not to be stereotypical, but buttery Chardonnay and, and big Shiraz was really what you would get from Australia. That's that's what was made. Whereas now there is varietals that work here better than they work in Portugal, you know, and there's people that are really experimenting about what works in this country and and making wines that they, you know, the, the boutique producer is kind of king now, which is such a it's so important and and also very exciting you know if you're a young person that wants to be a winemaker you can do that you can you lease a little part of a of a cellar and make some you know these these things are popular are, are, are possible and there's also sommeliers out there like myself and peep and uh, the whole team that are really willing to sit and taste with you and see if it works and if it works then goodness gracious put it on the wine list and and that's I think it's I'm excited by the wine in this country and I'm I'm excited to see what happens over the next few years you know because obviously you know the bushfires and and you know the, the climate problems that we have in Australia, Australia and the world are really going to 
play a little bit of a part in what happens with certain varietals in certain regions. And so I'm, I'm excited to see where, where it all goes. You know, I think we're on a journey and it's going to be quite interesting, I think. You still have quite a long road left with your rehabilitation, but there'll come a time when you're back at icebergs. What's it going to feel like when you're back in your role there? Oh, my God. God, I can't wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be really, really great. And I think um, just to be back with the team, you know, and, and Lillian McCabe, who who is was the assistant when she started, she's now the sommelier, which is really good job, Lil. Um, to get back and work with her again is going to be really quite exceptional because she's um, she's got a palate like I can't, like no one I've ever met. It's really quite phenomenal, that sort of chef. When chefs move into wine, they, they can really exceed people so you know being back it's going to be it's good it's going to be great it's going to I think it's going to be quite hard because it is a hard venue it's a beast of a venue it's like nothing I've ever seen you know it's big and it's busy and it's up and down stairs and it's you know it's it's great but it's going to be it's yeah I I I can't wait Anthony it's going to be really awesome (laughs) I can't wait well, Gabrielle, you've had a hell of a year and I know things are still pretty tough, but your enthusiasm yeah. and energy and spirit is bloody inspirational. Oh, and, thanks. Thanks. And uh, We're absolutely honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds. Uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. I will. I, I will. And, and look, truly, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honoured. It's, um, it's it's nice to have a chat and, and yeah, then please also keep in touch. Come, I'll... I'll put on my brand new social media when I'm back on the floor at Icebergs and <laughs> everyone can come and drink some wine with me because, God, it's going to be a party that first week back. It's going to be wonderful and amazing. you're all welcome and invited. <laughs> well, how can we say no to that? That sounds amazing. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>